Well, good evening and welcome to this evening message. And tonight we're going to be uh, getting into chapter 5 of Romans and even more centrally into justification by faith, that wonderful doctrine. So let's start with a brief word of prayer. Our Lord and our God, we thank you and praise you for your amazing grace shown to us through and in Jesus Christ. And so help us to truly appreciate what it is you've done for us in the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. So I'm just going to share with you from chapter 5 of Romans, um, verses 1 through 5. Listen to the word of God. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So there's a lot going on in these few verses of Scripture that I've just read. And of course, Paul mentions being justified by faith. And so we just need to look a little more closely at what it means to be justified, what the word justification actually means. And uh, it means essentially to count someone as righteous, to reckon somebody righteous, to credit somebody as righteous, to pronounce someone as righteous. Now, ironically, it does not mean to actually make a man righteous. All Greek verbs that end in un, and this does, it says diakun, mean not to make someone something, but merely to count and to judge and to treat someone as something. So think about that for a moment. We, well, it is wrong to say that we are not changed into different people by our encounter with God through Jesus Christ, but that is the process of sanctification, Now, that proceeds immediately from justification, but it's not actually the same thing. So that's why justification has such a special, important meaning. And we may well reflect, why is justification necessary? Well, it's relatively simple. First, it's necessary because we're sinful. We've inherited sin from our forebears, from Adam and Eve, and we commit sin all the time. So we always fall short of the glory of God and the standards of God. So that's one reason. The second reason that we need justification, that we need to be justified, is that God does not accept our sin. God possesses great stores of anger and wrath towards our sin. And so there must be a way of appeasing the wrath of God towards our sin. So that's the second reason for justification. So that's why justification is necessary. And then there is the issue of why God would justify someone. All right, we know it's necessary. Why would God actually do that for us? 
Well, simply put, God will justify us because of his son, Jesus Christ. When a person believes in Jesus Christ, God takes that person's faith and counts it as righteousness. So remember, the person is not actually righteous, but God considers and credits that person's faith as righteousness. And so why is God willing to do this? Well, notwithstanding the great anger and wrath of God at our sin, God still loves us. God loves us so much that, after all, he sent his son into the world and sacrificed him in order to justify us. And God is willing to justify us because of what his son did for us, did for all of mankind, all of mankind that indeed have been ordained to eternal life. Jesus Christ secured the ideal righteousness for us by his sinless, perfect life. And because he lived a sinless, perfect life, he then secured justification for us through his atoning death. In other words, nobody else could have died for the sins of the world or the sins of the elect, however you want to put it. But Jesus Christ, because of his sinless life, could. And he did. And so he took our sins to death with him. And then in the third way, Jesus rose again from the dead. His resurrection secures justification for us as well. And so praise God for that. Now, how can we know for sure that God is like this? Well, if we trust the Bible as the word of God, we do have that assurance in Genesis 15:6, Moses wrote, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. So there we are at the very beginning, looking at the example of Abraham. And this is something that Paul brings up again and again and again, that faith is counted to us as righteousness. And so we have that great justification now, a result, the first result of justification, now we, you know, we've learned why we get it and how we get it and, well, of course, why we need it, but we also learn about some of the results, and one of those results is peace with God. Peace with God. It means, therefore, that we have a restored relationship with God. God intended to have this intimate relationship with his creation, with us. But our sin opened up a huge gulf between us, between us and God. And so our relationship, our proper relationship has been restored. And we no longer need to fear God's anger and wrath. They exist, yes. And the Bible says that his anger and wrath will fall upon a great many people, sadly, who do not have Jesus Christ in their life. But if we are truly in Christ... If we have a true relationship with him, we do not need to fear that anger and wrath. And that is an amazing peace. And again, the source of peace is Jesus Christ. He is the one who makes our peace happen. He reconciles us to God. His, his blood, his cross, have reconciled us to God. As Paul writes in Ephesians, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself 
one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And so the reason that we have peace is the glorious truth of justification. Praise God for that. So that peace is one result of justification. Another result is grace or access to grace. And from the Greek, grace, charis, means a gift or a favor. It's unmerited. It's undeserved. And that is how gifts are, after all. And in the present passage, grace is looked upon as a place or a position. Grace is a place to which we are brought. And we may stand, therefore, in God's presence. We are standing before God saved. We are standing in the favor of God. It is amazing that we can stand before God at all, and that is access to grace. And again, it is through Christ that we have this access to grace. It comes through no one else but Christ alone. As Jesus said in John's Gospel, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pastor. And that's John 10, 9. So we have peace and we have grace because of justification. And we also have hope. We have hope for the glory of God. Now, something we should be clear about is that when the Bible talks about hope, it doesn't mean what the world means by hope. The hope of the world is usually a desire or a want. We hope for something for ourselves. Uh, The world wants something to happen, whatever it is. But that is actually not the hope of the believer. You see, the hope of the believer is a certainty. Uh, Here's a good example of a contrast. If you buy a lottery ticket, you will hope that you win. Uh, Even though you recognize that the chance of that is vanishingly small. And there may be other things you hope for that are more likely to happen, but I think there's always going to be some kind of uncertainty. You hope for something to happen, you guess that it might happen, you want it to happen, but you don't know that it's going to happen. But hope in the glory of God is a certainty, it is a surety. And how can it be such a surety? Because it is an inward possession. The believer's hope is placed upon the presence, the indwelling presence of God's Spirit in one's heart. We can feel it inside of us. And once, once we have that, God will not let go of us. And so the believer possesses the hope of glory only by the Spirit of God who dwells within us. Paul writes in Colossians, The faith and hope that spring up from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel. That's how he refers to it. And so as we talk about the hope for glory, I want to talk a little bit more about it. It it is so amazing that it far exceeds, it infinitely exceeds the hope of anything that we have on this earth. Glory means to possess and be full of perfect light. To dwell in the perfect splendor and magnificence of God. That is our hope. Now, do we have that right now? Well, no, we don't. Because we are still creatures of the flesh. 
and notwithstanding being justified by grace through faith, and notwithstanding our continual sanctification, we are still imperfect people. God is the creator, and we are part of the creation, and creation is infected by sin, and we are still infected by sin. So no, we do not enjoy the fullness of a relationship with God, or the total fullness, the total communion. What we have now is wonderful, yes, but it is not everything. But justification gives us the great and certain hope that we will receive those things at the consummation. In Matthew's Gospel, it says that the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. And Paul, again, he writes in 2 Timothy, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That is an indesca- I mean, that's an inescapable part of salvation, of justification. Eternal glory, where, well, again, who can describe it? Who can adequately describe it? We get an idea in the wonderful imagery in Revelation. But even that, well, God has accommodated himself. He has condescended to us to speak to us through the words of Scripture. And yet the reality that even the scripture describes is unimaginable. We are just given a a foretaste of it through the words of the Bible. Then there is another result of justification. We've talked about that. We have talked about peace. And we've talked about access to grace and hope. And this leads us to... The fourth result of justification, which is glory in trials and sufferings. Glory in trials and sufferings. God never promises to remove all suffering from the believer. And really, how could he? Jesus was the ultimate perfect man, the ultimate man of faith, and he certainly was not spared suffering, so why should we be? But here's the thing, God will not remove our sufferings from us necessarily, but he will give us what we need to go through the sufferings, and even glory in them. The sufferings of this world, the challenges of this world will no longer overwhelm us, or even really discourage us. That is a wonderful promise that we have from justification. Indeed, trial and suffering can even become purposeful and meaningful. Someone who is truly justified will know that all things, all events in the world, no matter how terrible, are under the ultimate control and sovereignty of God. That was a lesson I think that Job had to learn the hard way. And so whatever comes into this life, whether good or bad, are allowed by God for a reason. Now, as we go through the suffering, if we are in the middle of the suffering, we may very well not discern what the reason is. And yet, if the Spirit of God is strong enough in us, and if we have been growing in our faith, we can still glory in our suffering. That's a hard thing to say. I mean, it's very much, when I say that, it is very much me 
trying to encourage myself and encourage you. It is not me saying, okay, this is what you should feel. It's not trying to impose anything because we all have our own struggles. And it's not helpful, probably, to be preached at to say that you should feel good in suffering or feel glory in suffering. But Paul is telling us that God will truly give us what we need to transcend suffering, to go through it. So we've talked about the suffering and then trials, the struggles of life, also stir perseverance. Perseverance, endurance, fortitude, whatever word you care to use. That means that we can continue through to the end. Our life may be a very hard road. There may be debris and holes all over it. And yet, God gives us the strength, the perseverance to go to the end. And praise God for that. And so that is perseverance. And so while trials stir perseverance, perseverance stirs character. Character, integrity, strength. The idea is that proven experience of gaining strength through trials of life means, therefore, that we gain character. And I think there is a lot of truth to that. When do we learn when something goes wrong? Ideally, we learn from that. If we lived a life where nothing ever seemed to go wrong for us, we wouldn't learn anything. And we would be actually the worse for it. So we need to understand that perseverance does lead to a stronger and better and more moral character. And indeed, Paul uh, reiterates that reiterates that point in 2 Corinthians. Let me just briefly read to you from chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have relieved, I'm sorry, have received from God. You see, that's how character develops. Everyone has some individual suffering, and yet there are some certain commonalities perhaps in suffering. There are, there's more than one person in the world who, say, has lost a parent at a young age. There's more than one person in the world who suffers from a specific disease. There is one, more than one person who suffers from a certain kind of heartache. And to be in Christ means to be able to share the encouragement that you have received from God with that other person. And what an incredible gift that is, not just for that person, but also for you to be able to share it. Um, there was a man I knew, he was the, uh, he was a pastor, and I guess he still is, but he's a little older. And um, when I was when I was a pastor up in uh, Erie, Pennsylvania, there was a man who was a member of the congregation, and one of his brothers was a pastor out in Montana. And he went through the worst thing, I think, that anybody can, or just about the worst thing. He lost a child at a young age. And that was a dreadful thing. Who would ever want to go through that? But he was able to use that experience to bring comfort to someone else who suffered from that. 
and who was angry at God for taking the child away. Now that is a heck of a tough lesson to learn. And yet, obviously, the Holy Spirit was very strong in this man, and he was able to help heal the hurt that someone else felt and be a wonderful witness to the glory and love of God. And so that is character. And character stirs hope. We've talked about hope. We expect with confidence. We anticipate knowing. We look and long for with sureness. We desire with assurance. And so when a person who is justified becomes stronger in character, that person draws closer to God. And the closer the person draws to God, the more that person hopes for the glory of God. And hope never disappoints either. Not the kind of hope that we have in God and the glory of God. Verse 5 talks about the love of God and the Holy Spirit as a way of concluding this particular passage. You see, there is the continuous experience of God's love for us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the love of God is demonstrated in his justifying whoever believes in his son, Jesus Christ. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And Romans 5.8, which is coming up. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God in our hearts. He grows and matures us in the love of God, increasing our understanding of what God has done and is doing for us. He helps us to learn more and more about our justification and more and more about the glorious salvation that is promised by God. And that is a very important point to increase in knowledge. If we are new Christians... We are certainly sincere in our faith. We are justified. And yet there's a lot we don't know. And there is a lot we don't understand. But if God grants us the grace to live a long life after our salvation experience, there is so much that we can learn about our faith. And not just intellectually, but spiritually, emotionally. We will handle things different 10 years down the road or 20 years down the road than we would at the time of our conversion. That is another gift of God, that wonderful knowledge and spiritual maturity. And here, Paul is stressing that God's love is very personal and it is individual. We personally experience the presence and love of God. His justification of us and his continual care for us accompany us through life. And that is very important to stress, I think, because, you know, justification is sort of a legal concept or a forensic concept. We are reckoned as righteous because of our faith. And that is essential and necessary, but it's not 
a description of the fullness of our relationship with God. God does not just pronounce us righteous in his eyes and then, I don't know, doesn't do anything with us afterwards, doesn't be involved, is not involved in our lives. It's not like that at all. God is personally caring about us, personally concerned with us, and personally walks with us through life. And that is vital to remember. God is not just the judge who pronounces us righteous, but he is also our loving father who wants the best for us. And so we can be confident that whoever has the Holy Spirit has been justified by grace through faith and will dwell in the presence of the Lord forever in part during this life and in full during the life to come. And let me share with you, in conclusion, these words that Paul wrote in Ephesians. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And so that is all about justification and what it means for us and how its effects are shown in our lives. And brothers and sisters, next week we will continue to explore the doctrine of justification by looking at the great depth of justification. It is not a surface doctrine. It is something that goes very, very deep into the character of God and into our relationship with him. And so may you be encouraged by these wonderful thoughts that Paul has offered under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen.